favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. This is who God reveals himself to be when he says, I'm going to show you who I am, Moses. I'm going to have my goodness pass by you. That's how he describes his presence as goodness. His presence is goodness. My goodness is going to pass by you. And I'm going to tell you that, I, that when, I'm going to proclaim my name. I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. And I'll show grace upon whom I show grace. And so then in chapter 34, we see this very situation. If you haven't read the book, Gentle Nolly, you should. We see this very, Dane Ortland. if we, we see this very situation. Look at Exodus chapter 34, and this is, this, is this, this is the circumstance when he passes by. Chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him. He hid him in the cleft of a rock so he wouldn't like kill him as he passed by. He said, I'm, I'm like, incredibly good. It will overwhelm you. And so I, I'm going to keep you alive, Moses. So I'm going to, you're going to just see like, see me as I pass, you know, this is just, I was going to say, see my backside, but the different, the, the back of me as I go, right? Like that's what you're going to see. And you're going to see who I am. So verse six of 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, children's children to the third and fourth generation. When God revealed himself, he says, this is who I am. I am the Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, full of compassion, showing love to the thousandth generation. And I absolutely deal with sin to the third generation. What God is saying is, this is who I am. I am merciful and gracious. My love far exceeds the ability of you to sin. A thousand to three. That's a pretty good ratio. We, in the New Testament, it's language like this. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That you who were dead in your trespasses have been made alive together with Jesus Christ. That God demonstrates his love for you in this, that while you were a sinner, and you are a sinner, a full sinner with all of your faults and all of your failures and all of your weaknesses, and while you were a sinner, that's when Christ died for you. And he brought you, he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Oh, 2 Corinthians 5. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. Do you know how John described this when he finally saw God revealed in Jesus Christ? He said, for, uh, he said uh, but we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is who God is for you, for me, for the world, for the wicked, for the sinner, for the enemy, for those who are far from God and those who are near. His heart is for sinners. And that, my friends, is the God whose heartbeat beats in us as followers of Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we do. 
It's what we should do. Guys, this is the, da- this is the danger Because, man, we can, we can take our news channels and Twitter feeds and just life group conversations. And, and man, we can make God like this tool to just beat people up with. And, and by all means, God can be provoked to anger, of course. Go ahead and just chart the trajectory of God's anger and judgment in Scripture. You'll find, literally, like, he'll go ten generations and then finally act in judgment. Like, he has so much grace and so much kindness. How many decades has he been graceful and kind to you in your sin in your life? This is his heartbeat. But some people in Jesus' day didn't get that. And they had even um, used Scripture to justify really bad theology that's very different than the heartbeat of God. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 23. And we'll see what that is. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 25. Again, we haven't made it to the sermon yet, but we're going to get there eventually, okay? I promise. It'll be the shortest sermon I've ever preached. All right? Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 25. In our text, which we're going to get to, we haven't gotten to yet, it begins with the word blessed. Blessed is the word makarios. It's a, it's a macarism. It's a, when you think of blessed, like hashtag blessed, like, you know, I got a new car, hashtag blessed. Like, uh, I got a raise at work, hashtag blessed or whatever. Um, the opposite of that kind of blessing, that's not our word in Matthew 5. The opposite of that kind of blessing, that's like um, a divine speech act of, uh, of uh, favor, uh, material, earthly favor, okay? So we, the opposite of that would be like a curse, like I, my car broke, hashtag cursed, you know? Or uh, I got fired, hashtag cursed or whatever, right? Like that would be, that would be the opposite of that. In Matthew, you see this word 13 times, and there's a counter word to Macarius, a macarism, a, a way of being that is a flourishing life. Uh, there's an opposite of that, the opposite of that is the word woe. There's 13 blessed, uh, this makarios. There's 13 woes. Blessed means happy. Some of your translations say happy or flourishing or joyful or exciting, uh, that kind of idea. This is the, the life that we've been called to have, uh, that we all are aiming at, blessed. And some of your translations in chapter 23 are going to say unhappy or woeful, or disappointed. I have the ESV, it says, woe. And so in this text, we, we, we find some people who have twisted this idea of living the happy life into pursuing stuff and possessions and position. 
And Jesus has some words to say to them about that because they did that in a way that was claiming that it was the heartbeat of God and it was far from the heartbeat of God. In fact, God was right in front of them saying, that's not who I am, and they ignored it anyways. So look at, look at what, they, what Jesus says to them. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Okay, we're going to see in just a minute. This is, this is the opposite woe to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside, you're full of greed, uh, violently pursuing gain, and self-indulgence. Uh, the, they don't have any limits on their desires. In fact, if you read the book of Matthew, you find out that they were doing exactly what we just said. They were using God and His design for His people and twisting it a little bit so that their un, uh, unfiltered desires would be justified and met, and their uh, un, uh, unbridled desire to gain more and more uh, would be fed with God's design. And so they had twisted it, and he calls them out and says, on the outside, you look, and you look good. You'll look like you got it together, because that's what they did. They convinced everyone Godliness looks like this, and Jesus looks at it and says, I see all that, and I'm looking at what's in the middle of you, and it's full of greed and selfish desire. Your outside looks good, but your inside does not have the heart of God because of how they were. The downtrodden didn't find hope and help in them. The sinner found an enemy. The dirty and the poor and those who just weren't like them found someone who would stay away from them. And they had created this world that that was okay. You know, I, I wonder if you're in here today and that describes you. Maybe you're in here today and you're, you're thinking, yeah, that's me. I, I, I've created a, a world and even put a few verses on it that, in a sense, is very different than God's heartbeat overall. We're, we're good at that. You don't believe me? Uh, I teach a course. Um, I'm teaching a course right now. Uh, and uh, it's a course on um, teaching the Bible. And uh, I began this course by uh, helping see how we are so good that we need to be really careful when we teach because we can make the Bible say whatever we want, just like these guys were doing, and that's really, that's really dangerous to do. Like, you don't want to know the Tim Whitney's meaning of the Bible, right? It would, it would not be good. And, and somehow I would justify the Jacksonville Jaguars as Super Bowl champions. We just all know never going to happen until this next year. Um, yeah, Duval. Okay, so, um, so, so we're warning from that. And so to help them see, like, just because it has a verse on it doesn't mean it's true. Um, I put together this really solid argument about how God calls us all to be zombies. Stick with me for a minute, okay? Just stick with me. These are real verses in the Bible. I'm just reading them straight from the text. 
First Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What's the name of the living dead? Zombie, 100%. Well done. You guys are Bible theologians. Paul himself identified himself as a zombie. Listen to this, Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ. He was killed. And it's no longer I who live. He's now back from the dead. But Christ who lives in me. What in the world? Paul identifies as a zombie. Oh, it gets worse, guys. Don't worry. We're going there. Not only that, uh, Ephesians 6, 16, and 17 helps us understand uh, that what Google says. Now, if you Google how to take out a zombie, you'll understand uh, that it's either with fire or a headshot. All right? That's what it is in the video games and on TV or whatever. And so... Uh, you'll, you'll see in Scripture that when the enemy is coming against you, there's two things you've got to avoid, fire and headshots. This is the, the armor of God. Listen to this. Uh, Ephesians 6, 16 and 17. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one because God calls you to be a zombie and take up the helmet of salvation because you don't want to get a headshot. You'll get taken out. This is... This is about as good of theology as you'll ever get from a heretic. And for John chapter 6, 55 through 56, listen to this. You're like, oh, okay, those are, that's a weird interpretation. I'm just going to read to you what Jesus told people. It's in red letters in your Bible. Are you ready? For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. If you want to be a Christian, you need to eat flesh and drink blood. Boom from scripture. It, a, a, a Christian is someone who devours others. That, my friends, is a really terrible hermeneutic. Don't take notes on any of that. But my point is, <laughs> it would be terrible to use scripture and come to the conclusion that I get to be how I want and devour others like a zombie. Like it, it would be terrible to use scripture and come to the conclusion that I get to act like someone who's not been made alive in Christ and devour others. even though I use Bible verses. And that's what they were doing. Following God had become a means for, to feed their greed and selfish gain. Instead of the way by which we are made pure and new, to love God and love others and live, actually live out the mission. So now that we're there, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. We're going to start the sermon now. That was all background. We'll be out before dinner, okay? <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus is going to teach. Okay, so 20, chapter 23 is how they were. Jesus is going to teach people what the blessed, fulfilled, true, happy life really is. 
Look at chapter 5, verse 8. It begins with the word blessed, happy. You guys know that you have pursued so many different means of finding happiness. When you're a kid, you think, when I just get a little bit older, I'll be happy. And then when I get a bigger bike, I'll be happy. And then when I get another big bike or whatever, the next gaming system, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, into middle school, into high school, when I finally get out of high school and into college, when I finally get out of college or training or the military, the route I took, uh, then I'll start life. And then maybe you, don't, you, know, you want to get married, and so one day you'll be happy when you get there. And, and, uh, and then you realize, like, maybe if we have uh, kids, and then you just keep going and going and going and going. And maybe if I could get out of this marriage, I'd be happy. And maybe once the kids get out of the house, I'll find that happiness. Oh, it's the job promotion. I need to make more money. I need to have more stuff. Uh, that kind of a thing. New card. We have you guys. We do this, right? And we know it doesn't work. Once the glitter of the moment goes away, we understand that it's just, we thought it was gold, but it's just a bunch of dross, right? It just, oh, okay, well, I guess I got the promotion. Back to my nine to five to keep doing something new now, you know? (laughs) So Jesus is going to teach, here's what it really looks like. You know how disappointing this. Here's what happiness really looks like what it really looks like. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those whose devotion to God is blameless and whole, holy and complete. Those who seek Him, and when they seek Him, they find Him. Those who have nothing against the way that they pursue and know and use God in their relationship with Him. Finding Him, being satisfied in Him, that is the happy, true, joyful life. This is why Jesus, who was crucified, is known as having the the most joyful, pure, happy life. This is His heartbeat. Paul, in a jail cell, is able to say, man, I can rejoice. I can rejoice. I have been crucified with, uh, with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. In his uh, book to 2 Timothy, he says, man, I'm, I'm being poured out as a drink offering right here. Like, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It's why the, 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 the martyrs in Hebrews, they joyfully gave over those that were plundering their goods. It's why uh, God tells uh, those that are being persecuted in and around Rome through the book of 2 Peter that there's a joy that comes with the persecution. That's why Jesus is in just a little bit is going to say, blessed are you, verse 11, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. You guys, the blessed, happy, fulfilled, abundant life is not found in things or gathering more or fulfilling my desires. It is found in Christ and in Christ alone. You're made for the life that only he can give. That's the blessed life. The pure in heart. 
And the result? They see God. We're going to end where the Bible ends. In Revelation chapter 19. It does go on two more chapters, but just let's just deal with it for a minute. Three more chapters, 22. I want you to see Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, where those who are pure in heart see God. That's, that's you and me. This is where we're headed, guys. Then I heard, John reports, what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's us. We've been made ready for this moment. Are you ready? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. This is where we're headed. A people of pure heart who see God forever and ever. You keep on reading where he is our lamp and he dwells with us and we see God and he is with us and we are his people forever where there's no more crying and no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and no more sin where there's only goodness forever because that's who God is abounding in steadfast love, having dealt with the consequences of sin through Jesus Christ, making his people holy forever and ever with him. That's the pure in heart. That's where we get to go and experience and see. Those who actually legitimately from their heart pursue God. And so now here's the problem. Maybe earlier when we were talking about using God's word and following Jesus as a way to beat up others. You'd say, Tim, I, I've taken God and I'm, I'm not following God for God's sake. I'm using him and his ideas to gain more, protect myself, even as an excuse to not get on mission, to serve others, love others, be the hands and feet of Jesus, share the gospel with others. So how do I, with an impure heart, get a heart that is purely, completely devoted to God? I have some really good news for you. If you're not a follower of Christ, or you are a follower of Christ, the answer's the same. You have a God who is kind and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, able to love and forgive to the 
thousandth generation who pursues sinners to save them, who forgives any who would call on him. If you're in here and you would say, Tim, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I have been just so angry and so frustrated in treating others as if they're the problem and instead of seeing Christ as the solution, and I'm the, I'm the, 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 the one carrying the solution to them, the doctor bringing medicine to the sick, if they're a nuisance and not the mission, and you've, you've swapped the heart of God. You begin by repenting and saying, God, would you forgive me for my, allowing my heart to be out of line with yours? Would you give me your heart for those around me? In just a minute, when the band comes out and begins to play, that's, that's your call to action. You're, if you're a follower of Christ, repent. Trust in God. Ask Him to give you His heart. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to know that God who deeply, deeply loves you in all of your imperfections and all of your faults and all of your failures in ways that you would never tell anybody else and in things that no one even knows, maybe not even you the depth of it. He loves you so much so that he takes all of that and he makes you clean before him he's not waiting for you to fix it to bring it to him he's waiting for you to come to him so he can fix it. And he did that by himself sending his son to die and pay the penalty for your sin. All of them. I mean, you can't think of anything that he would not say forgiven, forgiven forgiven, forgiven. He is abounding in steadfast love. It doesn't leave. It doesn't fail. It never, ever, ever forsakes you. He forgives all who call upon his name. So if you're not a follower of Christ right now where you are, would you, in prayer, ask God right now, say, dear God, I've sinned. And he'll say, I know. You say, God, would you forgive me of my sin? And he says, absolutely. He wouldn't have it any other way. Say, God, would you change my heart so that I can follow you? says, this is what I made you for. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you haven't been in church, that just means, you know, 
assume prayer position or whatever. There's nothing magical about it. It's just a way so we can reflect and meditate on what God's doing in our hearts. If you're not a follower of Christ, and today you want to, either you just prayed to talk to God about being a follower of Christ or you want to talk to someone about more about that, I'm going to be up front. There's going to be some other ministers up front. We'd, we'd love to talk with you. Celebrate with you. If you are a follower of Jesus already, but you realize that your heart is out of alignment with God's heart, you've been using him and his ideas to just beat people up around you, the altar, the, the, the steps are open to pray. You can come pray with someone up here, pray by yourself. But whatever it is, let's all tune our hearts back into God's heart that we would have pure devotion for Him and Him alone and walk out of here seeing God today.